0: This episode of the Out of Bounds podcast is sponsored by Fisher Skis, and you can visit them at www.fishersports.com. Hello, hello, hello. My name is Adam. This is the Out of Bounds podcast, and today we have Josh Berman on the show, and we're talking all about the new film, Full Circle, uh, featuring the story of Trevor Kinnison, produced and created by the Level 1 team. Really awesome film. I think this is some pretty groundbreaking stuff here, and I'm really excited for everybody to get eyes on this thing. So keep an eye out for a premiere coming to your area, and then for more information on how to watch it online uh, coming early in or late 2023, early 2024. But for now you can go see it in person at any one of the dozens of showings that they have for this thing. So go check that out as soon as possible. Ideally, it's made to watch on the big screen, so please try to go do that if you can. Uh, before we jump into it, we have some sponsors. One, we have a brand new sponsor for this week in Sweet Protection. Sweet Protection makes the very best in helmets, in eyewear. I can't tell you how long I've been using a Sweet Protection helmet, but it has been a very long time. I've even been using the mountain bike and road bike helmets over the summer, but now we are in the new igniter and the new switcher. Uh, from Sweet. So if you're looking for something that you can actually keep for a long period of time, um, obviously you still want to replace your helmet every few years, but something that you can keep and rely on as far as protection goes, be sure to hit up sweetprotection.com and get yourself a new lid today. We are always here to help as far as gear selection goes and fit goes. So be sure to reach out to us if you have any questions. Um, I really like the way that that stuff fits. Ethan is dropping mics all over the place. So that's cool too. Anyway, sweetprotection.com. Check it out today. We also have our friends at Aspen. Please go ski Aspen Snowmass this year if you have the ability. It is the place to go ski the most acreage with the least amount of skier traffic the place is incredible the snow is always falling and you can expect the very best skier experience at aspen snowmass you also have access to a bunch of other areas as well and you can get flights directly into aspen uh, from most hubs from most travel hubs so be sure to go ski aspen this year hit me up if you want to go skiing i will do my best to get out there as much as i possibly can so let's go make some turns at aspen this winter that is all i hope you enjoy the episode with josh berman i really did this is one of the ones that i feel uh, i feel really good about so let me know what you think josh tell people who you are a little bit about yourself and then let's take it from there
1: all right my name is josh berman i live in denver colorado Originally from the Northeast, I started a production company called level one back in 1999, and we made ourselves known by making a annual feature-length action ski film for 20 years straight. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's why I'm here talking to you today.
0: <laughs> um, let me ask you this right off the bat. Why, what, where does the name come from? Where did level one? Where did that whole idea
1: come from? I mean, it's been a long time now. (laughs) It's been a long time. So I went to Dartmouth College and ended up studying filmmaking and photography there. And I had a bunch of friends that were interested in production, too. And we had a a group and we called ourselves Ground Zero. And obviously, this is before 9-11. And um, (laughs) when I, I wanted to start my own company, I, I loved what Ground Zero meant to us, which was really you know, starting from the bottom. It also referred to our class here, which was 2000 zero, zero. but it wasn't my name to, to take. You know, It didn't belong to me, so I was trying to come up with something that was as close as possible to, to the meaning of Ground Zero, to the meaning of starting at the bottom, and obviously the next thing in line would be level one. Mm -hmm. so i also wanted something that had nothing to do with skiing the the popular thing at the time was to have a production company that that spoke to you know snow sports or skiing it was like two planker productions pow pow productions yellow snow productions like those kinds of things and um you know i wanted something that was a little more ambiguous something that i could i could really grow over time and and didn't kind of pigeonhole us into like a you know, a a kitschy phrase or something that was specific to snow.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's funny that that's the route you chose to go and like not pigeon pigeonholing yourself, but it's like, you look 20 years later, 20 plus years later and level one is known for like kind of core ski films. Like that's really like the, the thing that you guys have hung your
1: hat on for a long time. Absolutely. But I don't think we would have sold many t-shirts if uh, it was big script, like yellow snow production. (laughs) Maybe, dude,
0: I don't know. That kind of shit's coming back now. You Maybe. can just do a, th- yeah, do a throwback one, like make something <laughs> like that happen. Um, why, why did you guys stop doing annual films? Like, it, and I say this knowing that every year you, s- since then you still have put out an annual film, like something has still come out, but something like that. Yeah. Yeah. It hasn't been exactly the same. Like you got Parker series that came out and sure. there, there's been a lot that's come through that. So why, why the halt on annual feature length films?
1: You know, I actually owe that to my team that really they they were the driving force between pressing the pause bu- or beyond behind pressing the pause button on the annual feature length films. I'm I'm pretty stubborn, man. Like I, I get in a rhythm and that's literally what I did for 20 years. I got in a rhythm just kind yeah. of spinning the hamster wheel, making these annual feature length films. And if everybody on my team wanted to keep the ball rolling, we would have probably you know, been kicking off our 25th annual feature length film this year yeah. as, as we go into the season. But uh, you know, I think everybody was a little burnt on it. I definitely was, but I, I, I don't think I quite realized how how burnt out I was. But uh, I think everybody needed a change. I think we all like really needed to to reshape what was going on because. Not that I, I felt strongly like that we were just like pressing the reset button every year, but in a lot of ways we were, I mean, we yeah. were, we were just doing the same version of the same thing. And, and, you know, uh, you know, it, it was an amazing thing to be able to do what we did for 20 years and travel the world and be in these amazing places with the best athletes shooting, like the most incredible things. But, you know, looking back, like it definitely got to the point where it was kind of old. You know, yeah. you, you're shooting another, you know, wasty pow shot and it's like, that's, that's cool, you know, but it wasn't, wasn't quite the same. And, you know, I feel like the golden era of the sport had really, we were getting beyond that. I mean, there's definitely a point in time where every day you went out, it was exciting because you're shooting something that had never been done before. And, you know, mm-hmm. does that still happen a little bit? Yeah, but to the same extent, not quite. I mean, yep. there there are very few limits that are really that you're able to push these days. Like, you know, we we shot 150 foot gap jumps with helicopters in the park. Like, you know, it, it doesn't yep. get more exciting than that. We shot, you know, Parker doing some of the most buck wild stuff in the backcountry, and like, what what do you, where do you go from there? So I think everybody just wanted to mix things up, and uh, and I'm grateful that that we did because it opened the door to to new opportunities and. Uh, that's actually why we're here talking today.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. What, what did it feel like when you kind of put out that announcement initially that you guys weren't doing feature films on a regular basis anymore? Like what, from the audience perspective, right? You're reading the comments, you're reading what people are saying to you, like what emotionally, I guess, this is something that you had committed 20 straight years of doing To yeah. What did you feel like when that actually first went public?
1: I mean, it felt like a, a weight was taken off my shoulders I, okay. I think it you know made me you know once once you put it out in the world it, it's official and you're not gonna it's a real thing pull back i mean not not that it wasn't real when we had those discussions but but yeah i mean it 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 solidified it and it's like well this is the the decision that we've all made and and we're gonna we're gonna move forward one way or another um yeah. And it was also it was obviously very bittersweet, but it was also just just so awesome to see the outpouring of support and emotion and feedback that we got from so many people in the industry. And, you know, there are they're, they're people that, you know, I never really worked with and didn't necessarily know personally who would reach out to me and be like, dude, you don't have any idea how much of an impact level one movies made on me and my career. And I'm a pro skier because. You know, I watched second generation in 2001 and, yeah. you know, there, there are few of those where it's just like, wow, it's, 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 you know, pretty special to feel like we actually made a, a difference in people's lives.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. And I think you guys have made a huge impact on the whole community, whether people said something you or not. I think it's, it was very, very apparent even before that announcement came and even more so, I think afterwards, what what do you think about the annual ski film in general? I guess you talk a little bit about like, okay, can these boundaries keep being pushed? Where can they go? Like, are people bored of it? Are people, are people tapped on the annual ski film? I, I, I just don't know. The ones that I get excited about in 2023 are not necessarily like your standard. Here's our ski film, right? Like, yes, Warren Miller yeah. is not doing a new one this year. And there was a lot of stuff like good and bad that came out about that. But like looking at it today, I'm like, I, I don't know how much I care. And I don't know how much I really was into a lot of the annual stuff that was coming out on a regular basis. It, it just felt like more of the same for not a lot of real reason. So I'm, I'm kind of interested to hear your take on, on the annual ski film in general.
1: You know, I think that the, the changes in the annual ski film, are representative of how people watch content, how people ingest content, mm. and you know there was a period of time in the mid two thousands when you know DVDs ruled the world, and it was right before social media really kicked off, and you know people would wait an entire year to see the best of the best things that had been captured. And yeah. ski movies, the, the release of an annual ski film, represented this just release of epic content. You know, throughout the industry, whether it was, you know, level one, matchstick, TGR, poor boys, anybody else that was making an annual film at that point, and they were something to really be celebrated. They were something where people would pre order the DVD and presumably, you know, wait by the mailbox. I mean, I, I know I used yeah. to do that as a kid, and uh, you know, very similarly, people would show up at premieres and it was this, this epic celebration of, of winter and the things to come and the things that had been captured, and you know, everything aside from the little bits and pieces that had shown up in in trailers at that point was new for the first time. And you know, you could blow people's minds for 60 minutes straight and you cannot do that anymore. Like everything that, that is put out has in some way been shown to some extent on social media, even if it's like a little bit of behind the scenes stuff, if it's little snippets, even, even some of like the, the highlight bangers you'll, you'll see like, phone clips is something that has never been done and is like the closer in somebody's part. And you see the phone clip in February when it happens, and then you see the cinema version of the clip in September when the film comes out. And it's just, it's just not the same. I will say like in in this day and age, I don't, I mean, the model is so different now. I think 2019, when, when we came out with romance, I think that was probably one of the last years where people were even willing to pay for ski content. You know, we did yeah. sell a bunch of DVD, Blu-rays. We sold a bunch of downloads. You know, on all the the, the streaming or, or transactional video on-demand platforms. But, you know, fast forward four years, I don't, I don't think people buy anything. I think that I just saw something <laughs> about you know Matchstick releasing their film on Red Bull TV. Am I right about that? Yeah, like just a couple days ago, and it's what it's it's the middle of October, end of October, right so like the dynamic has shifted so much i can also say though that you know as much as the online watching and buying habits of people have have changed in recent years the the interest in in people getting together to watch something as a community and be in a theater watching together is still high i mean we just did a 10 city you know level one free ski film tour across the us and you know, more often than not, these venues were, were packed to the brim. I mean, there were a couple of locations where we had 1200 people in a room, just Crazy. screaming and yelling their heads off. And, you know, and these, these aren't even for annual feature length films. These are for, for short form pieces. And it, it's more of a party and a concert vibe than a traditional film premiere, but it's, uh, it proved to me that, you know, there is still definitely a, a place, a time and a place for people to be watching, new ski content even if it is a lot different than it was a few years ago
0: yeah do you as a filmmaker do you is it frustrating to you like ever where you're like okay everything is out already like on an iphone clip on instagram and people's attention spans are 13 seconds right like i was talking to this marketing company pretty recently and they were like yeah 13 seconds is the ideal clip for an instagram or a tiktok reel and i'm like 13 fucking seconds what do you put in that right like how do you make that engaging so like i can't imagine looking at it as a filmmaker and being like how do you how do you make this engaging throughout the form of like 45 minutes 60 minutes plus right
1: that is a great question and one that i'll be continuing to try to find the answer to (laughs) (laughs) for the next few years Uh, i I mean it's been a a crazy exercise too because uh, you know the film we're going to talk about today full circle is 105 minutes long yeah. And, you know, we're expecting people to sit down for almost two hours and watch something that's really designed to be watched start to finish. It's not even yeah. like, oh, we're going to watch like the first three scenes and then like, go, go grab dinner and then come back. No, I mean, it, it, it's really a story driven film that's designed to like, you know, engage people for this extended period of time, which is something that I've never even tried to do before and was, you know, a very interesting exercise, but, you know, speaking to the, the short attention spans of people, you know, we recently had to cut a trailer for the film and, and release it. And of course, with that comes social media cutdowns that we're actually using for, you know, traditional like social media advertising. And, you know, I was tasked with cutting a bunch of, you know, 15 second you know, <laughs> mini teasers from the two and a half minute trailer to the film. Yeah. And that was really like, okay, like, so, so what the fuck do you, you want me to like put something about Trevor's life and times and Barry Corbett and how these stories are weaved together and really sell this, this like, you know, pretty epic story driven piece, you know, for lack of a better way to describe it in 15 seconds, like what the hell is the hook? And yeah. um, I don't even know how you do that. No, well I didn't do it. Uh, (laughs) 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 Uh, I think, I think the, the shortest one that I cut was like maybe 18, 20 seconds. And that was like, you know, we, we had a, a four second title card at the end that has the, the website and a call to action. And like, so if you took, you know, four four seconds off your 13 seconds, you're talking about nine seconds of content to show to people. It was like, Yeah, no man, there there's no way. But but you're right. I mean, it's it people you have such a, a short opportunity window to get people's attention. And and we actually did mm. this the same kind of thing a few months ago when when we were doing some other stuff for YouTube related to the film where, you know, we're, we're strategically trying to make the first three or four seconds, which people cannot skip in a YouTube ad engaging to have them continue watching the next 20, 30 seconds. And it's just like, what, like, wh- what am I going to put on screen to try to get people hooked in four seconds? Yeah. And
0: I yeah, I, it doesn't seem feasible and it doesn't seem well, like it adds any context. It doesn't seem like it actually, it, it doesn't do the film justice, right? Especially when you know. you're talking about something that's like, you know, 105 minutes long. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. It's, it's hard, man. It's, it's really hard, but that's, that's, you know, that's the, one of the many challenges in, in doing what we're doing as content yeah. creators these days, you
0: know? Yeah. And I, I wonder and this is a thing that I've kind of been thinking about recently on the film side of things in COVID, you started to see podcasts blow up, right? Like that was a thing that everybody was listening to, even though it made no sense in relation to the way that people were consuming media, right? Like 13 seconds, 30 seconds, like mm-hmm. Instagram, whatever. No
1: dude, it was, it was dog walking. That's what it exactly. was. Everybody's yeah. walking their dogs during COVID. Exactly. And you're just like, <laughs> Exactly. So That's now I
0: guess, is it going to, that stuff is still kind of held on. And like, it's a different conversation entirely. Like whether I think podcasts are going to continue in five years and all that kind of thing. But I, I wonder if the film side of things will start to see a little bit of resurgence, not necessarily in your 20, 30 minute films, but in your longer form films where people are like, okay, I actually need to separate myself for a minute from whatever it is that I'm doing and like actually be somewhere else for a minute and attach to this longer form bit for a while right and i think there's a good possibility that people actually do that right like and i think that people will start to gravitate towards longer form ski content film content in general i I think that there's going to be this capacity that's unlocked within people i hope that they're willing to just get out of their own heads and they're out out of their own lives for a minute to watch something like this and i don't know i don't know
1: if you build it they will come like if yeah. you actually put together something that that compels people to sit and watch and focus then it'll be there. I mean it, it it's funny because you know we we started out with i think a 2 hour version of this film was our initial cut and yeah. you know then we cut it down to like 215 210 and you know slowly just like chopping it up as as we you know went through the process and getting it tighter and you know I I sent out a bunch of links to early screeners to friends and you know, even when we were like just sub two hours, uh, you know, people didn't know what they were getting into. And, uh, you know, I I got feedback from a few friends afterwards who watched the film and and, and loved it and had some really good feedback, but they're like, dude, you sent me this link and I agreed to watch this thing for you. You didn't tell me it was two fucking hours long. Like, dude, I did the same
0: thing when Connor sent it to me, I was like, what the fuck is he asking me to do? I don't,
1: I don't, I don't have that kind of, I love you, bro, but I don't have that kind of time for you. (laughs) But, you know the, the the feedback that we have gotten ever since is that you know it, it it takes people somewhere and you sit down and you watch it and that you know not two hours it's, it's 105 minutes now you know it just kind of sucks you in and it doesn't feel like you're i mean you are along for a ride it doesn't feel like a drag it doesn't feel like uh is this still going kind of thing or at least that's mm. the feedback that everyone has shared with us and no, i agree ask people to be pretty candid. So I don't, I don't think it plays too long.
0: No, I don't, I don't think so either. I actually think that if it was possible, the best way to do it would be to like eliminate the little scrub bar at the bottom so that people could see how long the fucking thing is like really <laughs> because the initial re- I think the biggest turnaway is going to be like people opening it and going, Oh, it's, you know, it's almost two hours long. Right. But once you're watching yeah. it, you're like this, like this went by in no time. This was, this kept my attention throughout the entire film. So I think it's, I think it's a great thing. So why don't, since we're kind of like dancing around it the whole time, why don't we actually talk about what full circle is, what the idea was, how this kind of came to be a little bit.
1: Yeah. So full circle is a feature length doc, the first feature doc that I've ever put together that, uh, you know, we're just in the process of releasing right now. And it is a film about spinal cord injury. It is a film that features my good friend, Trevor Kennison. And you know, it it really became a film that that's bigger than Trevor and his story. And it, it's really all about turning tragedy into opportunity. It, it's about people dealing with a shit hand that they've been dealt and not just surviving it, but really figuring out how to grow from it and better themselves because of it, which is, you know, a pretty you know, difficult but, you know, exceptional thing. If, if you can find a path through that and, um, and that is certainly what Trevor did in his story. Yeah. I mean, the kid at, uh, you know, his late teens, early twenties was a plumber by trade, you know, his, his, his story short and sweet, you know, he moved out to, to Vale, Colorado to pursue a career as a plumber. He was a very mediocre recreational snowboarder. And in 2014, he went up to Vale pass very early season. I think it was the 15th of November. And was just literally messing around with some friends, and hit a really small jump, and caught an edge, and ended up taking a tumble and breaking his back. And you know, it was a, a life changing injury in, in every way. He had a you know T eleven T twelve fracture and a whole bunch of other complications that left him unable to feel and move his legs, and you know, he's been in a wheelchair ever since. And mm. you know he went through a lot to. I mean, before, before he even ultimately reinvented himself, but just, you know, the, the struggles, the trials and tribulations mentally, physically, emotionally of, you know, losing, losing your career, losing all the things that, you know, you love in life, you know, in some capacity and, you know, the stress that that places on your friends and family and the people around you and your relationships. I mean, it changes every aspect of your life and ultimately. Trevor found reinvention as, as a sit skier, you know, it, it gave him, you know, to, to, quote him, um, you know, gave him his life back. It gave him the sense of freedom and, and opportunity and the ability, you know, where he could go anywhere on the mountain, he could be just like anyone else. And, yeah. you know, he was able to, to create a career as, you know, the first, really the first, you know, professional free skiing sit skier and he makes a lot more money than he ever would have as a plumber he travels the world sure. to some incredible places and you know most importantly he he impacts people's lives and you know he does so many things that he did not have the opportunity would not have ever had the opportunity to do you know in his former able-bodied life and you know what what's so cool also just from a you know athletic i mean we're talking about skiing here side of things he's accomplishing a lot more as uh as as a paraplegic sit skier than he ever was as an able-bodied athlete yeah and you know that's that's kind of like where this whole all started he came to me with the idea of going back to the site of his accident on veil pass he wanted to do a single backflip in his sit ski which Mm. you know to, to me was a really cool story because he was going back to the site that represented so much trauma and he was going to try to do a single backflip which is something that he had not done as an able-bodied snowboarder mm-hmm. so to to be able to even at the outset of this project to you know aspire to do something bigger more challenging high risk difficult you know any way you want to phrase it then what he had done able-bodied was so cool and yes. you know obviously the scope of the project and Trevor's goals changed immensely since then, but that's how this whole thing kicked off. He wanted to just go back to the site of his accident he wanted to do a very short film project with me. It was probably going to be five, 10 minutes long. And, uh, that was the goal.
0: Yeah. And then we end up at this full length, like, like full on movie style documentary style film. It's it's insane, man. Yeah. What, how did you start to put together the storyline and, and at what point did you realize like okay this is this is a full length thing like this is a real story that we can put together?
1: Yeah, so that was a very organic process. Trevor came into the level one office in December of 2019 and I sat Trevor down in front of a few cameras and a microphone and had him pour his heart out for 4 hours and you know I'd spent a little bit of time hanging out with Trevor prior to that and uh, obviously enough to the point where he trusted me to do this project in, in whatever capacity it was going to be and um I, I i knew that there was there was something more that trevor had to offer i didn't know exactly what it was but i just thought that his story was for lack of a better word inspiring and i was at a point in my career you know coming off of just wrapping up the the 20th annual level one feature where i wanted to tell a story i wanted to really do something different i wanted to take the skill set that I developed and, you know, parlay it into something else. And working with Trevor represented a really good opportunity to do that. And, you know, I think after that first intake interview, it was like, well, Trev, you know, maybe maybe this is going to be like a t- 10, 20 minute short film. Like, I think, you know, we want to yeah. go a little deeper. You know, there's so much incredible, so many incredible components to your story that, I think we can't fit into like five or 10 minutes. And, and he was game to do whatever, whatever I wanted. And, um, and the ball started rolling. And the first day that Trevor and I actually shot anything was January 4th of 2000. We, we went into the, the backcountry outside of Winter Park and a couple of his friends rallied some sleds. And we were all going to go figure out how to even move Trevor in the backcountry. And I'll mention that that was one of the most interesting things of this project. Everything old was new again. I mean, I've, yeah. I've spent countless hours and logged countless miles snowmobiling all around the world. And, you know, it's just something you take for granted, you know, everybody, all your athlete friends and their former friends, like some do suck at sledding, but they still like get the job <laughs> done. But with Trevor, it was like, how, how do we do this? Wh- what does this look like? Like, is this gonna be easy? Is this gonna be hard? How do we move him in his, you know, 60 pound sit ski rig? around on a snowmobile like what is he going to be capable of like we had no idea he had never been on a snowmobile post-injury and you know that day um turned into a little short film we made called day one which was basically just like a proof of concept you know trevor in front of the camera illustrating like what was going on and you know at the end of the day he does this beautiful backflip and this this low sunset december light or sorry january light and Um, you know, everybody's laughing and crying and it's like, wow, I I think we have something here. This is, you know, a five minute short that we made from one day, our first day, just kind of messing around like, you know, that really made me think in terms of bigger picture, like how, how big can we go with this and what does that mean and what does it look like? And It was actually after that day that I said to Trev, you know, if, if you want to go back to the site of your accident and do a backflip by the time this, this comes out next fall, everybody in the world will have seen you do a hundred backflips and it'll be special yeah. it'll be it'll be emotional it'll be impactful but like is there anything else that we can do to really put an exclamation point on the return to this this place that means so much in your life and uh, you know i'm not one to really push the limits and in, and in, in suggesting athletes you know do things i like that to really come from them but yeah. you know, thinking about you know what trevor might be capable of I was like good eh, trev you ever you ever thought about a double backflip is that ever crossed your mind? <laughs> and he's like let's fucking go let's do it <laughs> so, i mean i think he signed up for that before we any of us quite realized what that meant but you know that's uh that really changed the the dynamic and, and the the scope of the project right away um before we had even you know done much and then uh you know it was probably a uh, about a month later or so that I learned about Barry Corbett. and I think that that's a really interesting thing to, to share with the audience is that for sure. you know, the, the the film Full Circle ultimately takes Trevor's story and weaves it together with Barry Corbett's story. And Barry Corbett, of course, is the namesake of Corbett's couloir. And nobody knows this man's story. and we found out so many incredible things about how his life, ties into Trevor's and really made, built a foundation for, for Trevor and other people with spinal cord injury to redefine what was possible and pursue lives that nobody could have conceptualized, you know, 40, 50 years ago. And ultimately it was a friend, a friend's mom who spent her career working at Craig Hospital in knew Barry Corbett. Well, who uh, we were talking about me working with Trevor and the project that we were going to do and she said it's you know it's, it's so wild you know Trevor and, and Barry and Barry being a paraplegic and I mean I did a double take and I'm thinking in my head like wh- what is this woman talking about like she's she's confused yeah. right like Trevor's a paraplegic she's just dropping this thing like Barry's a paraplegic it's like no 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 Barry Corbett's the Corbett's cool guy and Trevor is the paraplegic and she she looks she looks at me and I definitely had this, this this expression on my face and she's she's like you don't know do you and I mean clearly I did not know but um, I, I learned immediately and and then you know went on to to dig deep in the the weeks and months to follow uh, all about Barry Corbett and his life and and what we actually found out is that uh, fifty years before Trevor aired into Corbett's coir at the Kings and Queens event. Barry Corbett actually had a helicopter accident and barely survived and ended up a paraplegic. And Barry was a filmmaker. He was a a writer, a publisher, um, an editor of 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 magazines and created this amazing body of work that, um, ultimately, created a situation where he was better known in the spinal cord injury community and in the disability community than the skiing community and the outdoor sport community, which uh, was really the first half of his life. So, really learning about Barry and his story just elevated this project to to a different level and made me convinced that we were sitting on something truly special. And then the pandemic hit. And we had to press pause on a lot of production, but spent the better part of that year reading Barry's writing and watching Barry's films and literally digging through the Craig archive, Craig Hospital archive in the basement where there are all these sixteen millimeter reels that hadn't been seen in decades and had never been scanned and played digitally. And so, you know, nobody was even aware of what was on these things. And, you know, we were unable we were able to unearth some absolutely incredible stuff. And yeah you know, build a film around it.
0: All right. We interrupt this episode to tell you about our sponsor, Pomoka. There isn't a better skin in the game like these are the ones we use. We've always used every single one of us. And if you are intelligent, you are using these skins as well. Uh, is a work of Swiss engineering pioneered, tested and designed in the Alps. Their claim is always forward. They want stuff that actually glides really, really well, but grips also. And it's really hard to do that. There's a lot of skins out there that are complete trash made by very major brands. But I'll tell you what, Pomoka makes the best stuff they always have. And I will, I, I hope they always continue to do so. So if you are looking for some new skins go to pomoka.com and get yourself a new pair of skins today figure out what one works best for you but for me i i mean there's quite a few that i use the pink ones are the ones that i tend to lean towards for most of my wider skis they're just easy they glide really well and they're super lightweight and easy to pack never leaving any glue residue on the bottom of your skis You never even know that you had skins on at all once you take those things off and transition. So once again, go to Pomoka.com, get yourself a new pair of skins. And if you need help, you need guidance, figuring out what skins work best for you, go get it. Email us and we'll get you all dialed in. Yeah, I think without that, I mean, obviously without the Barry Corbett story, it's an incredible film as a standalone, but I think that addition adds this whole other layer that brings brings it together in this way that almost doesn't make sense. It seems fake. It seems like it's a movie that somebody wrote up. You know what I mean? Like, and it's, I was so confused at first when I was watching it because I did the same thing that you did when you first heard it. I was like, Barry Corbett did what? Like Barry, who? I think if you asked 50 people in the snow sports community, even if they're involved who Barry Corbett was, they wouldn't be able to give you a real answer.
1: No, right? nobody. And you go through
0: that in the film too.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you have Jackson Hole locals, including Jess McMillan, who's the <laughs> director of marketing and events, whose job is literally to know these things. I mean, she was the one that came up with the Kings and Queens of Corbett's event, yeah, and has been in Jackson for the bulk of her career, if not her whole life. Like, and she didn't even know very yeah. story. So, I mean, it's it's crazy to think that you know we were able to to unearth it, and you know, it just it was just lost to time. And, yeah. and again, like so many different elements of his story, because, you know, we didn't even talk about it today. Like, you know, we'll save that for the film, I guess, like what Barry accomplished, you know, yeah. pre-injury. But I mean, he was, you know, a world-class explorer, adventurer, skier, mountaineer, and, you know, was, you know, pretty famous in, in those communities in, in, in a way that, um, yeah, I mean, really like that's why and how, Corbett's core got its name. And yeah. you know, that really isn't even how most of the world remembers Barry.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. It's, uh, it's so bizarre, like the way that it all connects and the different ways that it connects. Like I said, it almost seems like it's fake, like it's played out. Like it's, it's, it's so crazy because you literally do a double take while you're watching this thing. And you're like, how is this actually, like, is this actually true? Like, is this, am I watching a movie or am I watching a documentary? And I, and I think that part is what really makes this thing special uh, among other things that we'll talk about, but yeah. uh, it's uh it's crazy. And if that hadn't happened, like if that lady didn't say something to you, I don't know that we'd even be getting this.
1: I think, I think we would have, because I think that there were, <laughs> there are a few other folks in the Craig hospital community that obviously knew who Barry was. And yeah, um, but, I mean, that was the moment that everything changed, for sure. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I mean, it really makes it into a different film. Like, to, to your point, like, Trevor is an incredible dude with this amazing energy and charisma who's done some mind-blowing things on a Sitski. And that story is great. But to, like, really expand it across space and time and tell another story that happened 50 years earlier in parallel it makes it, makes it speak to so many more people. It also makes it, you know, this, this was an important thing for us too, is that we wanted to, to make sure that we are not glorifying the things that Trevor was doing in such a way to suggest to a viewer that if you are disabled, success is defined as pushing the limits of adaptive sport. Like that's Mm. what you got to do. That's what Trevor did go. Do crazy shit, be be badass, and that's that's your path. Um, because it's not for everybody. And and I'll even point out that, you know, within the infinite variables of spinal cord injury, Trevor has a lot more mobility than a lot of people do. I mean, there there are people with the exact same injury as Trevor that have a lot less mobility. There are people that have spinal cord injuries that are, you know, high-level quadriplegics. And we want, we wanted we wanted it to be fair. We wanted it to to speak to everyone, and not, yeah, not not like define success in a way that other people couldn't appreciate or aspire to. And and Barry Barry in his story really did that. And that, you know, he his life he was he was an unreal athlete and adventure prior to his accident. And and yes, like in the film, we talk about some pretty crazy things that he did post injury. But ultimately, he found reinvention as as a filmmaker and as a writer in in building community and understanding and communication within the spinal cord injury community. And that's really what meant the most to him. And that was how he redefined himself. And that that was really important for us to show that, you know, we're we're all we're all on uh, you know, that path in some way.
0: Yeah no for sure and i think yeah that that stuff is going to come across in the film i think really really well And i'm excited for everybody to get their get a chance to actually watch this thing and take this thing in in their own way right and and i'm glad it's as long as it is because you need that to give this film the depth that it deserves
1: oh well, glad you feel that way man it was no small task to get it to uh, 105 minutes like <laughs> Like the, the amount of things that we had to cut from both Barry's story and Trevor's story and the amount of things that we had to cut from the action scenes, like, Holy shit, like every scene in the film. And I've got, I've got my, my sticky notes on the cork board next to me here. I mean, I think we're at like 22 different scenes and each of those scenes started out as like, you know, 30, 40 minute string out. And each of those things, like if, if somebody hired us to turn those into episodes for some like, you know, six hour thing. Like we could do that in a heartbeat. Like the content was there. There's so much meat on the bone, but, yeah. uh, but you, you can't, you can't do that to people. Ultimately they're not. Was,
0: gonna, the, was there ever a thought process in doing like a docu series instead of doing a, a full length documentary?
1: I think we talked about it briefly, but I think for, for our goals, we, we wanted to do a, a, a one-off standalone film something that was really just designed for people to be able to you know, to deliver the message that we wanted and for people to be able to take it in in one viewing and really like make things as concise as we reasonably could and not to say that there might not be some opportunities on the back end to turn this into a docu series because sure. again there's so much else that we haven't included but i think for for like step 1 was just to make something that we could really just Push through all the channels, and in, in, in the sense of it being a traditional documentary.
0: Okay, so I have a two-part question, I guess. Now, what first? What was your initial thoughts when you were like, okay, we're going to bring in Trevor's family and his friends into this documentary? What was your thoughts? What was your expectation that you were going to get beforehand? And then, what was the expect? Like, what was the reaction afterwards when you saw? emotional responses like especially the one from his dad like sits with me very especially like on the call from the accident like I was like what like this is crazy that this is the way that he still feels to this day about that call right like so what was your expectation going into it and how did you feel after that stuff was getting done and as it was being filmed?
1: So I think it was really important to my entire team and I to interview as many people as possible. I mean, that's really like part of the documentary process is you don't know what you're going to get and who you're going to get it from. So it's important to cast as, as wide a net as you reasonably can and and talk to, to everybody that's somehow related to the story. And obviously Trevor's friends and close friends and family were the baseline to start from. And yeah, you know, we didn't know what we were going to get, especially because. You know I think I think it is is communicated in the film but you know Trevor's relationship with his family is is really complicated you know he had a really tough upbringing his parents split up when he was five years old and you know it wasn't wasn't uh you know an easy happy childhood for him and I think that you know he and his family are still working through a lot of those things and I think that th- this film and and, and Trevor's success for the past few years is, is I think actually helping to bridge the gap in a lot of ways and make mm. them reconnect and I'll, kind of a side note here, but I'll mention that when we went to X games a couple years ago, that was the first time that Trevor's parents had been in the same place together. I want to say in like, you know, as far back as Trevor can remember, like, I don't, I don't think he, he, he may or may not even have some clear memories of his whole family together in any one place. And I mean, it, it's, it's it's cool to see that they were all able to come together around something that was so important to Trevor. I mean, that's why they were there was to support him. But, yeah. you know, to further answer your question, I, we didn't know what we were going to get in any of these interviews. And it was, it was interesting because we're trying to toe the line between being sensitive to Trevor and sensitive to his family and not, not prying too much because that's not what we wanted to do and not, you know, trying to you know poke people to to get reactions or dramatize stories that don't right. necessarily need it, um, but also just to get to the truth of of what you know what Trevor's life was like and why he is who he is, and it was it was not easy. And I'll mention that you know the, the interviews with his family in particular, you know, those were three or four hours long each. Mm. And the amount of, of topics that we covered, and the amount of you know time we just went into to detail on things was you know, pretty significant. And um, yeah, it was it was not easy. It was not easy.
0: Yeah, I'm sure. What was what was your reaction afterwards, watching it all, like and being like, okay, like they actually just poured their hearts out for this thing? Because like you said, you don't know what you're gonna get. You don't know whether they're gonna be reluctant to sit down for three or four hours and and yeah. chat about this kind of thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, I think following the interviews, I, I, I think you know, my team and I were like, oh, we could have done this differently. We should have asked this differently. We should have done this, and you know, the, the yeah, yeah, the immediate reaction is like, oh, like we did, did, we get, did we get it? Did we get what we need? Because you know, more often than not, there was really one opportunity to sit down with these people and would they have, would they have been willing to do it again? Yes. But are you going to get the same reaction and response? No. Is it going to, you don't want it's to not do the that. same. No, yeah, it's, it's
0: never not. the same if you do it again.
1: Yeah. Mm-mm. So it was really important to, to, yeah, just, just use what we got. And, um, I, I, I did feel like we, we got something. I mean, when, when people open up are, and are as emotional on camera as his family was willing to be, it mm-hmm. felt like a success in that, you know, they were willing to share you know, some pretty emotional aspects of their life with us on camera, which mm-hmm. which is a tall order and, you know, made us feel like we had a lot of responsibility in figuring out how to put these things together and uh, kind of, you know, be fair to them because, you know, I, I will say that everybody has a different version of, of their story and and trevor's story and you know as 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 filmmakers you know you have free reign ultimately to to paint any picture that you want and um which is a scary kind of power because you know you can villainize people very easily you can you know you can change reality um in in, in such a way to like make something more compelling or interesting to a viewer but um And even even if you're not changing reality, sometimes like you can you can choose to elevate certain aspects of a story that, you know, might not necessarily feel fair to your interview subject. So it was it was not easy.
0: Yeah, no, I'm sure I, I it's it's a lot like and it's I'm sure it's hours and hours of stuff to go through and find the things that go together. And I think your own personal Feelings on it versus like in terms of what you want to get for the film, and then how you react to the subject, and how how you be fair to the subject is is a really difficult thing to put out something that's that's balanced in a way that everybody's going to feel okay about it.
1: Yeah, and and I'll say that I think we had close to you know twenty, maybe a few more than twenty feature interview subjects, and all of these things were two, three, or four hours long, and you're you know going into these things with five, six, eight, ten pages of questions, and you're really Again, not knowing what you're going to get, you're asking people to cover such a wide swath of of topics because you know some things really resonate with people and some things don't. And you can go into an interview with some degree of expectation of what's going to work and what's not. But you know, ultimately, you just have to kind of put it all out there and play it by ear. And you know, I got I got a shout out to to my editor Tom and my producer <laughs> Connor because you know ultimately you're, you're looking at you know, 100 hours of, of interviews that, you know, it, it's not like watching action ski flip clips where it's like, oh, that's a make, that's not a make, that's, that's a crash. That's not a yeah. crash. And just yeah. like, no, this is like, you have, you know, a half dozen people describing Trevor's accident and the immediate aftermath. And it's like, well, who do you want to tell that part of the story? And you know what what does it do to have his sister say this line or his mom say this line because they say very similar things so how do how do we want to tell this part of the story and you know then we have three camera angles on everything so it's like well ah, shit you know do you want to use the wide do you want to get in tight on this one and capture a little more emotion or do we want to back up it was it was a monumental task. And you know, Tom in particular, you know, straight up did God's work pouring through all of this stuff and <laughs> making sense of it because, you know, there there are infinite number of ways that you can put all this stuff together. And, you know, Tom really locked himself in one of the edit suites here in the office and you know, spent the better part of I'd, I'd say probably a year dedicating himself just to creating string outs on all these interviews and and piecing them together. And just an absolute monumental task.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to get back to a couple things, I think on the film itself in a second mm-hmm. here, but as sitting in your shoes, how much trust are you putting in your team to get all this stuff together? And like, I imagine it's like just an immense amount of like, you're kind of just giving over the reins to the team to, to do what they can do. Cause you can't be hands-on in every single thing that they do. And I think you've got a great team and that's a credit to you and all of them, but how, how does it feel? I guess putting that much trust in all of them.
1: Um, it's it's not easy because I still feel like this film is in so many ways my baby. Yeah, I, mean, I you know not to say it's my film because it's all of our you know collective. Um, it belongs to all of us and Trevor as well. But you know, I had a I had a vision for this from the very outset, and you know, it was it was really important to build a team of people around that vision and who could support it you know it's, it's what's really cool is to see how everybody grew into their roles and i think that that's an important way in which the film became successful like we brought tom on initially under the guise of being an assistant editor i mean that's that's kind of what you know we put out there and you know i i didn't want to trust anybody to handle all this shit. it's like you know i'll i'll, I'll have somebody just kind of label clips and put string outs together and, um, you know, I will, I will take care of the rest, but ultimately, you know, Tom really grew into the role and, you know, did so much and ultimately we credited him as the, the primary editor on the film because he definitely spent the most amount of time and, you know, Connor Smith too. I mean, Connor was an intern in 2019 and, right. <laughs> you know, obviously like grew his role very quickly and very significantly, but, you know, he wasn't around for the first year and a half of this project. and. You know, he, he expressed interest in coming back to, to work in a bigger capacity for level one. And it's like, well, you know, this is what I'm working on right now. Like, this is the focus and you want, you want to, you want to produce your credit? Cool. Like, I'm not sure what that means, but you're going to help with a bunch of the stuff and and we're we're going to figure this out together. And, um, you know, and, and and in particular, I think, you know, Connor's strengths probably are, you know, on the business side and communication side, but ultimately. Mm -hmm he also contributed a number of uh, of, of creative decisions and brought uh, you know a lot of value to the table in that capacity too, which is a lot more than I, I could have or would have asked from him on the front end. And, you know, it yeah. was really great to see as everybody just got deeper and deeper into the projects. You know, I think that, you know, the three of us in particular had such like a keen understanding of all these little elements, Just by nature of investing thousands of hours in it that you know it's funny like it it came time to talk about bringing in a writer or other people to like help create the story and ultimately the decision was like well no like we we can't do this because we don't we can't even take the time to get somebody on board who'd have the same level of depth and understanding that we do so you know we're just going to have to trust our instincts and (laughs) <laughs> make this up as we go along because we were all doing something that was above and beyond anything that we'd ever done before.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, what a couple more things I'm not going to keep you for too, too long. I, I don't want people to have to listen to basically another length of the film, just listening to us talk about the film either, but what, most difficult part about the whole process for you when you're going through, you creating this thing. It, it, it's so much and it's so long to digest as you're going through the few years that it took to make this thing. Can you pick out moments that were like the most difficult for you to kind of figure out whether it was on hill or off hill? I mean, what what was the struggle, I guess, that you went through that you were like, OK, this was <laughs> this was a thing
1: well i think the biggest challenge at the end of the day was really figuring out if we could take trevor's story and barry's story and combine them in a single film and if we could get that film to be under two hours in any way because i mean obviously we've already talked about it you know trevor trevor is an awesome human he's got an awesome story and he's doing things that have never been done before and that's really cool i mean that that deserves a a film and and that's like something that people would get on board for and i think watch and separately barry's life and times like you know that might be another project that i you know dive into in the next couple of years is like a barry corbett film because we barely scratched the surface of who he was and what he did like i mean granted you know we're talking trevor who is now 31 and, and barry lived an entire lifetime of of doing things and creating things so you know, apples to oranges. But anyway, to my point, like Barry has an incredible story. And would we risk screwing the whole thing up, taking two really good stories and trying to force them together? Mm -hmm. And, you know, that was that was something that we we floated to to people when we sent early versions of the film out for for feedback Is, is like, does this even work? Does this make sense? Like, are these questions? answered like do you want to do you want to see these things together and uh you know some of the really crappy early versions of the film i don't think that the answer was a resounding yes and you know we got there and and you can watch the film today and you know i think it makes a lot of sense you know you can you can see very clearly it's like ah this connects to this and this connects to this and these stories bounce back and forth and uh it all makes sense and and it grows and it feeds off you know scene by scene as you go through the film but to get there holy shit was was a massive undertaking uh you know unlike anything that we'd ever done and and i feel like you know we all kind of just dove into the deep end of of storytelling not to say that i don't have experience and that my team doesn't have experience but this was like a pretty extremely complicated story to tell it 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 wasn't like you know a single linear story
0: yeah. yeah. You have two things going parallel to each other almost that yeah. seemingly make no sense. I mean, I, I genuinely can't believe that it worked out the way that it did. <laughs> it's fucking awesome. Like, like for real, I yeah. I was pretty shook the first time I watched it. And then I watched it again this morning and I was like, this is still fucking crazy to me. Um, yeah.
1: Well, that's the cool thing too, just to, to jump in and cut you off is that feedback that we do get from people is that you know, it, it's even better on the second or the third viewing because there's so yeah. much minutia. There's so many little things that are that are in there that, you know, you can't ever take it all in on the first watch. And, you know, it's uh, yeah, I, I think the rewatchability of this film, even even as a story start to finish is, is pretty significant.
0: No, and, and that's, like, one of the things that makes a good documentary is that you can go back to it and watch it again and, like, still pull different bits and pe- – like, everybody watched The Last Dance, right? It's like yeah. I've watched The Last Dance 12 times. It's like I don't know how many episodes, <laughs> 10 episodes, and, like, every cool. single time I feel a different thing from it, and I think that that's what makes those kind of things so special. Yeah. Um, last thing for you for now, mm-hmm. um, what – how does Trevor feel about this whole thing? Uh, that's a – I'm going to put you in his shoes for a second here. I'll ask him eventually, but how yeah, yeah. what was his reaction?
1: So I'll I'll mention that that Trevor was largely not involved in the post production process. We gave him, you know, free reign, open invitation to come down to Denver anytime he wanted and see what we had going on. And he didn't take us up on that, which is which is fine because I think in a lot of ways it would have been more complicated to have him involved in post, especially Another, because yeah yeah as you're as you're building these things like one scene at a time you know it doesn't make as much sense and so you know in a lot of ways i think it was easier to not have him you know come looking over our shoulder but mm. you know we first screened it for him just over a year ago and i think he had no idea what he was getting into until he actually saw the final or sorry the first like real cut of the film and You know i think he he cried for the entire probably 120 minutes at at that point whatever duration it was and i mean i can imagine it was it was hard for him not only is he reliving some of the most traumatic aspects of his life from his childhood to his accident to you know the the struggles he faced after his accident um to you know we don't talk about it in in the podcast today but i mean there there's a scene in the film that we refer to in the office as the day in the life scene which Mm -hmm in large part was, was Trevor's idea where, you know, we wanted to capture everything that Trevor does on, on a daily basis, like all of the mundane stuff, you know, yeah. in, in his home that is just part of life with a spinal cord injury. And he wanted to put it all out there and, you know, it, it, it gets pretty gnarly and pretty raw. And I mean, you know, for Trevor to have been willing to put all these things on camera and then share them with an audience and like watch this in a theater with hundreds of people at a time is, is, It's pretty hard i mean some of that stuff is hard for me to watch in in a theater setting but i think it's also important and um i think trevor has has grown into you know really seeing the 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 full scope of of our vision and what we've done with this film and the way it speaks to people and the impact it makes on their lives and um and i think he's he's very excited about what we've done And I think it's, you know, really a a great opportunity for him to, you know, share his story with people and to, to, to take the next steps in his career, because he really does aspire to eventually become a motivational speaker and, and share his story with people, which is, you know, again, such an awesome, incredible story. And, you know, this is a good stepping stone to that. And I, I think, and I hope he's going to be able to take advantage of it.
0: Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. The, the mundane parts of it, like, it's almost like we say mundane, like it's like what everybody does, but I think because everybody else doesn't go through these things, like and doesn't deal with it, it becomes this very eye opening bit. Even and people will see this obviously when they watch it, but like the part where he's talking about the house he was living with living in with his friend, where he's like having to scoot up the stairs every day. You're like, Holy fucking can you imagine doing that every single day? And like what that does to your headspace, right? Like that yeah. that that gives you like such a insight into what he deals with and what a lot of disabled athletes deal with on a regular basis and it kind of gives you some context that's really important for the whole film
1: yeah and I'll say that that scene like that that was the actual house that was the actual staircase and it's you know this place in Keene that was probably built in the early 1900s and I don't think that somebody could legally build that staircase today that shit was not to code it was so (laughs) steep and so narrow and yeah. I mean, just, just to think about, you know, you take it for granted that you have to go use the bathroom, you go use the bathroom. There's just, right. you know, it, 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 you can go do that it's part of it, you know, yeah. but, but for somebody in a, with a spinal cord injury, like there there's for one there, there's more of a process to it. And, um, and it's not quick and easy. And you know, if it, if you're talking about accessibility and trying to actually like get somewhere in a house that was not designed for disabled use accessibility, like straight up, like he, he had to like, he was, he was often a home alone because all his friends had jobs and he was just living and sleeping on a couch in this living room. And, you know, he was, it was all up to him to like get himself up the stairs and literally like dragging himself. And we actually shot a reenactment of that, which we did not include simply because there wasn't enough time, but like, it's gnarly. It's so gnarly. And, you know, you know, it's all the things that people don't think about, you know, you see a wheelchair, and that's, that's, that's how people process and understand spinal cord injury to a large extent, but that is barely scratching the surface, a number of people that we interviewed, said that they'd be fine living the rest of their lives using a wheelchair. That's not a big deal. Like, they don't mm-hmm. care. They're like, Sometimes it's actually fucking convenient. Like I just roll places and yeah, yeah, yeah. The gravity's on my side, man. Like I'm faster than you are, but you know, it's, it's everything else. They're like, I'd stay in a wheelchair forever, but I'd like to get, you know, bowel, bladder, and sexual function back. I'd like to be able to, to do these other things that I rely on other people for, or that are so inconvenient that they take so much time out of my day. And those are the things that really matter to people.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and it also provides context, I think, to how crazy some of the shit is that he does, right? When you watch that and you're like, oh, this is the same dude that's just, like, throwing doubles. You know what I mean? Like, it's fucking bonkers to be like, this is the same exact human being. Yeah. So... Um, all right. This is the hacky tacky bit where uh, you tell people where they can find level one, where they can watch the film when it comes out or where it's available to watch currently live in theaters. Like what, where do people get at you guys? Where do they find more information? Give me all the, all the plug information.
1: Absolutely. So we will tell people to go to fullcirclefilm.co. And again, that's co.com. And that is the, the film website where people can get all of the information they would ever hope to get about the film. They can watch the trailer. They can learn a little more about Trevor and Barry's backstories, about the film process, about who was involved in making the film. And most importantly, they can figure out where to watch the film. We actually just kicked off our, our theatrical release in New York City just a couple days ago, and we're going to be opening in Denver in a couple more days. And then Trevor and I go out to L.A. this weekend for a theatrical release there. And then the film will be rolling out to upwards of 100 markets across the US and Canada. And so, um, yeah, we're, we're unbelievably lucky to have this opportunity to share the film with people in theaters. And I would strongly suggest if you can find a screening anywhere near you, go check it out. I mean, the film really was designed for the big screen experience. The soundtrack, the score, the music, sound design is absolutely incredible. It's, it's got a beautiful 5-1 mix. Obviously some of the, this imagery, if you can see it on a big screen and not watch it on your laptop, it makes a massive difference. It's, you know, just spectacular visuals. And, um, I mean, that's the way to watch a film if you can. And, uh, if for whatever reason that doesn't work out, there will be a digital release forthcoming that we can't really talk about yet, but there will be opportunities for people to see it online too. But in the meantime, full is the spot. Go check it out.
0: Awesome. Awesome. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Josh. This has been fantastic. Hell yeah, dude.